the show that goes there. This is the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. Welcome to it. Boy, do we have a lot to cover today, including, well, let's talk about Trump's big, big weekend, shall we? We'll also talk about John Kelly on his way out uh, a little bit about the timeline and the whole Russian Mueller investigation because it has had some big developments and we'll also kind of involve ourselves with the question when it comes to Donald Trump is his lifestyle one of the reasons that he's in so much trouble uh, before we get to all of that, welcome to my show. Hi, welcome to it. Uh, my name's Shaggy Jenkins. I am a critical thinker, problem solver, guy just left of normal insane, but always centered in common sense and found at the lovely website shaggyjenkins.com or wherever fine social media is served at Shaggy Live. You can also support this show by going to Patreon and looking up for, you know, Shaggy Jenkins show or yeah, why not? Follow us on Spotify and give us a review there, as well as Stitcher. Just look for, once again, the show you're listening to, Shaggy Jenkins Show. We begin today with, oh my God, it's so weird that this show takes a break on Friday, because used to, and, and this is a very truthful thing, when this show started off in about 2016, long, actually 2015, under a different name, mind you, but when the Shaggy Jenkins show started proper in 2016, our our Friday shows were found to be the least involved. So we, we dropped producing those shows. Now, the reason why is because, I know what you're thinking, but Shaggy, Friday night bombshells. Those are the those are the whole things that people have done for for decades to dominate the weekend news cycle. Okay, yeah, but let's just go ahead and be honest. Under the last presidency, the Friday night bombshells weren't really that exciting. So we stopped kind of producing shows on Friday because let's just face facts, nothing ever excited and happened on those days anyway. Fast forward to where we are now, where I am regretting only doing this show four days a week. I, I, I almost wish I did it six days a week because the way that the Mueller investigation has been escalating against Donald Trump as of late, as it's been going, has been, dare I say, um, very intense on the weekends. Now, part of this is because, let's just face it, uh, for maximum effect and for giving himself the maximum amount of leeway between the courts being open and motions being able to file, uh, typically Mueller and his team have used the Friday filing, especially the Friday last-minute filings, as a way of getting their stuff into the courts in such a way that uh, the public had time to become aware of it before Monday and, of course, you know, Trump's lawyers and everybody taking to trying to suppress what was happening. Now, this weekend, the, the president himself was engaged in a lot of that, but more on that in a sec. But this weekend... Mueller, and, and we've talked about this on the show before uh, with, with correspondence and as well as me explaining time and time again about Mueller's habit of using what's called the speaking indictment to get crimes to be further investigated or to go ahead and set up a preliminary case 
for a case that has not yet been brought up. A speaking indictment basically is his way of filing under court papers suspicions, allegations, and actual clues and evidence supporting um, other people, other than the ones being prosecuted, other people in kind of other crimes or related to the exact same crime that, 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 that he's indicting whoever he's working for. The speaking indictment on Friday that came out, though, was a bombshell. And, and here's the thing. Political analysts all over the country have been kind of looking at what was said. When Michael Cohen basically came forward and said, look, I, I, I lied. And here's here's a lot of truth. And then when when Paul Manafort said, oh, I'm telling the truth. And then they later came out and said, no, you did a lot of lying. Both of those things were filed on Friday. And as such, both of them had seismic, earth shattering shifts in the paradigm of what we know about what Donald Trump claims versus what others around him are saying transpired during the 2016 campaign. And I'm going to save you a lot of suspense today and go ahead and tell you they basically are saying that the president lied. Okay, he lied and he committed some crimes in the process of doing this lying. Okay, so that is, first and foremost, what Mueller's papers are saying. I could go through and pull out my handy-dandy copy of it and read through everything, but I'm just going to say that when it comes to Donald Trump's past narrative on the people that he's been involved with, the level that these people were involved with Russian nationals, and the level of interest that Russia actually had in the 2016 campaign for the benefit of the Trump camp, when it comes to Trump's narrative of these things, it has always been one of, <gasps> I have no idea what you're talking about. None of that stuff is happening. No, 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 no. You know, there is no collusion. There is no collusion. There is no collusion. And even on this weekend, when Trump took to his Twitter account to attack Mueller, attack everything about everything that we're knowing and reality itself, uh, Donald Trump once again pointed out and it was mirrored by Rudy Giuliani that oh, oh we think that this shows clearly that Michael Cohen was the guilty one and then people around Trump are the guilty one but once again no collusion and Trump is free you see that's the problem and this is a problem that goes back to another bygone era in American political scandals it has to do with Richard Nixon and Watergate. Oh, God, here we go again. I know what you're thinking. You're tired of hearing about Watergate and Donald Trump, but we... I, I, okay, look, I'm just going to say this in a very point-blank way. The only reason that we keep referencing Watergate when, we talk, when we're talking about Donald Trump today is because Nixon was the only other crappy president in America's history that ever tried to do anything on such a scale that we have a precedent for, okay? That doesn't mean that other presidents haven't other, tried to do other shady kind of BS, but on record in our country, America has been very fortunate that when it comes to despotic or tyrannical type of leaders... We have a horrible, horrible 
deficit in examples to prove to, to, to pull from. Okay, so if you're wondering why ad nauseum people keep talking about Watergate and Richard Nixon is because, face it, America has been, when it comes to world leaders and our country's leaders especially, extremely lucky. Extremely lucky. And that's what makes the case of what Richard Nixon and Donald Trump did and are doing. Well, okay to the country in their aftermaths, uh, there is a little bit of analysis that we need to kind of look into, okay? Because, see, here's the thing. With this weekend and all of the stuff that, that, that Mueller put out, Donald Trump is trying to say that, hey, this proves once and for all it was these guys and not me. But back in the Watergate scandal, when it came time for prosecutors to start going after the plumbers, the fixers, the cleaning men, you know, that whole crew that was actually breaking into the Democratic headquarters, well, when it came time to go after them, in their findings and in their reports, and especially in their final filings, prosecutors were very careful about making sure that they put in a speaking indictment as far as a tie to someone outside of these two cases. That someone outside was not identified by name in these filings, but, okay, I'm going to spoil this surprise for you, that someone turned out to be Richard Nixon. Now, I know legal scholars have been going on and on and on this weekend ad nauseum about whether or not a sitting president can be indicted, and to which I say, eh, I'm just a humble show host, but I'm going to say, hopefully? I mean, surely, in our Constitution somewhere, the framers thought at one moment, probably during one of those rare moments of sobriety that was uh, going around at our founding father's time, yes, most of our country was founded off of drunk people. But in one of those rare moments of sobriety, I'm sure someone somewhere must have written some corner of the Constitution that says, oh, by the way, if the president is being blatantly against the, 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 the interest of the country, we should be able to remove him. Wait a minute. That is in there. So whether or not a president can be indicted or anything like that, if you go back to the Constitution, it kind of seems like the forefathers did work out a system for doing it. Is anybody clear on how that system works? Of course not. We haven't had to consult it for a while now. I know that's kind of sad, the founding document of our country, and we haven't had to consult it for a while. But when it comes to this particular case with Trump, indictments... Could they happen while he's in office? Okay, I'm just going to draw a big question mark over that and, and move on to let's talk about the aftermath. Because, see, this is something. When we talk about Donald Trump and this whole Mueller investigation that not a lot of people are bringing up, uh, it started to come out in the news media this weekend, but I don't think that it got brought up in such a way that you can understand simply. Okay. Here's the deal. If you do something bad and you're not caught for a while, if you don't get caught for a long enough while, there is a 
thing in our law called a statute of limitations, okay? And basically what that means is that so much time has passed from the crime happening to where we are now that going back and trying to punish you for it or trying to prosecute for it would be costly, expensive, ill-advised, would have just negative... Everybody could just be in different points of their entire lives and, and we can move on. Now, of course... I'm not going to make any sort of comment right now on how certain laws actually need to have their statutes of limitations removed. I'm not going to bring that up just yet, okay? No. Instead, let's just talk about it as it flatly is, okay? Here's the deal. When it comes to these limitations, okay? When it comes to these limitations, some... Are short. And when it comes to the things that Donald Trump is being accused of committing, uh, as far as, you know, defrauding the American electorate, uh, colluding with a foreign government, campaign finance violations, obstruction of justice, as far as those things are concerned, right? As far as those things are concerned, when it comes to Donald Trump, let's just go ahead and say, or sake of argument, that he's guilty of doing them, okay? But he's still in office. And this whole argument of whether or not he can be indicted whilst, while in office is, is so, so, so convoluted. Let's say that, that people say, okay, the president maybe can, maybe can't be indicted, but we don't want to try because it's going to set up a very big and real constitutional crisis in the United States that could... That could really tear the democracy apart. So we're going to kind of rest on things. If Donald Trump, during his upcoming 2020 elections, and he's already signaling that he's going to run again, if Donald Trump were to win a re-election, some of those time limits we were talking about, statutes of limitations, statutes of limitations, those things right there, they would have elapsed. And even if you can't indict a sitting president, there is a very real possibility that Donald Trump can be indicted once he is out of office, depending on how long he spends in office. You see, what I'm saying is, is that by the time Donald Trump were to serve a second term as president, and if, let's say, he was able to keep up the chaos that he's kept up for the past two years, and nothing were to be done to impeach him or remove him from office, therefore instilling Pence Bot as our ruler and overlord, oh God help us all, but that we'll, we'll, we will deal with that when our country is dealing with that. We've got way too much stuff going on now with this. Okay. So let's say Donald Trump makes a second term. There's a lot of things that he has probably done wrong and we cannot hold him accountable for because by the time he were to leave office, keeping up all of the kind of rambunctious energy that he does around distorting the narrative, he could get away with a lot of the stuff. But and this is something to consider, okay? This is something very heavy to consider. Let's say that Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani and, 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 and Senate Republic, Republicans are so good at keeping this thing tied up, the whether or not the president colluded, whether or not that defrauded the American election process, whether or not, 
we should have, I don't know, maybe some new laws drawn up about how foreign governments and online entities function as far as presidential campaign. It's just a suggestion is all I'm saying, okay? Maybe it's time that we rethink things going forward. But here's the deal. If you're somebody that's like, I want justice, I want Trump, and I want him uh, prosecuted, you have to make sure that he doesn't have a second term. Because as much as we fight about whether or not you can indict a sitting president, which, once again, I kind of think the forefathers wrote this in the Constitution somewhere. I, I, I think that they were pretty much looking at, hey, we just got away from some people that we didn't agree with. What happens if they try to take over here? We should have a system for removing them. I'm just saying the Constitution's worked for a while. Republicans always defend it. Why not go back to it and see what it says now? But they won't do that, okay? So let's say that, that you're somebody that you're just like, oh, I demand justice for America, and, and, and I want Donald Trump to serve time or to, to, to pay some sort of consequence for clearly what is being shown as far as, as Mueller's investigation is concerned, uh, appealing back of the onion layers, and each one of them is more colluded with foreign government and Russian interest than the last. It is like the worst kind of onion you peel back, whereas each layer getting closer to the center is more rotted than the last. Ugh. It's a horrible, horrible scenario that we're in. But, unless... Donald Trump is stopped from being reelected. There's a good chance that he could be in office and hold sway and power enough long enough so that a lot of the stuff that he's possibly and allegedly evolved with, he will get away from. So this is something to write down in your calendar right now. If you're somebody that just wants to see justice served and wants to make sure that this argument of whether or not we can, you know, to indict a sitting president, you, you really want that argument to be over? Make him not a sitting president. The laws would change. Now, of course, there is a real possibility that Donald Trump could resign from office and have Mike Pence pardon him. This is something that is, well, in a lot of people's minds when we bring up Watergate, and uh, the after effects on America versus what we're going through with this whole Trump-Russia investigation. There is a real possibility, and, and we've seen it time and time again with this dangling of the pardon carrot in front of Paul Manafort. The White House is very quick. Republicans, specifically Republicans, are very, very quick to forgive their own kind for doing atrocious things. And the reason why they are able to do that and to get away with it is because they keep changing the laws to allow them to have the power to kind of sidestep Democrats when, when things aren't going so rosy on the Republicans. Well, it's that kind of a habit that, that's making a lot of people saying, okay, Mike Pence is obviously going to follow that playbook. If he becomes president, if Donald Trump is impeached or resigned, there's a real possibility that Pence will pardon him. Okay, that's all well and good. However, you're forgetting something. You see, when Mueller's investigation set to find out any and all ties between Trump and Russia, 
this this was done a little bit more clever than a lot of the news media is letting you know. Okay, there's two types of ways of 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 tearing empires down, okay? One is a massive explosive kind of bombshell event or actual bombs that are so overwhelming in force and nature that they topple the known paradigm of the government and and you're able to coup them, you know, assert a new day and a new order. There's the other way. Because a lot of people are trying to approach Trump as, let's get something big enough on paper, let's get a filing big enough, let's, let's get something big enough to knock him down. All right, consider uh, the ball and chain and the mountain. Okay, you know those big cranes, the demolition machines with the big weighted ball at the end of them? You've seen them in all those cartoons and... Okay, if you live in cities, you've seen them in real life, knocking down buildings and such. Well, you wouldn't use one to take down a mountain. It's impractical. But what you would do is if you had to use one of those machines, is to do it a little at a time, starting from someplace inconsequential and maybe not even related to wherever anybody else is looking, right? Right. Well, so too is true of Mueller's back game. Because the forward game is, of course, the speaking indictments and of the, the, the public filings and witnesses and such like that. The back game is what Mueller has been doing by sending evidence down to state districts to open up their own independent investigations. You see, a federal pardon can only work once, and it can only work in a very specific way. So if Donald Trump were to leave office and Mike Pence were to say, hey, here's a pardon against all of this Mueller investigation stuff at the federal level, you're forgiven. You're forgetting that the Southern District of New York City is also looking closely into the financial records of not only Donald Trump, but the Kushner family and other entities tied around Trump Enterprises. It's on a state level. Pence's pardon wouldn't change any part of the state case moving forward, nor if new evidence were to come up in a new case against Donald Trump, would that pardon necessarily cover him then? Because, like I said, a pardon is very specific. But this is something that, uh, that we have to bring up. Because when we get back from the break, I, I kind of want to talk about this, this whole landscape that Trump and the Washington, D.C., that he resides in, has shown us about where we are in American politics. Before we get there, though, I want to talk a little bit about one of the senators from my state, Maisie Hirona. Now, if you don't know anything about uh, Maisie, uh, here's my pun of the day. She's amazing. Okay, it was a terrible pun. But she's a pretty cool lady, all right? She was born in Fukushima okay, a long time ago. Her family had a rice farm. She, she came here to Hawaii not knowing English, came up from a very poor family, got her way through university after university, law degree, and is now a senator. And here's the thing. 
She's a pretty clever lady. We've had a chance to talk to her every time she comes here to Maui, where the show is based, and she's really, really sharp. And one of the things that she's been saying lately about Donald Trump and about all of these things that I've talked about is that, look, we have to analyze behavior. And when it comes to the behavior of this particular president in unprecedented ways, he is, at his core, somebody that seeks loyalists, not best people. Okay? Remember how Donald Trump, I have the best people, I know all the best people. Not, not so much as, of that is true. According to Maisie, and, and this is, this is I kind of want to uh, applaud her and Brian Schatz for, for doing this. They're, they're both from our humble little state here in Hawaii. Because both of them have came forward and said, you know, there is something inherently really creepy and wrong about our president and his demand for loyalty. And when we start to see public appointments put forward, like the whole Matt Whitaker uh, debacle, you know, this whole thing about getting a, another new attorney general by the name of William Barr, who served under George H.W. Uh, Bush, uh, who has publicly went on record and said that he thinks the Mueller investigation is a witch hunt and a waste of time. Not saying I'm going to uphold the um, rule of law, which is what you would want an attorney general to say. With all this stuff happening, I have to say that Maisie is right, because it seems like Donald Trump only appoints and promotes people from a culture of loyalty to him. And this is going to create a very interesting scenario, because when we get back from the break, I want to bring up something very simple to you and very straightforward. Is this habit of Trump with these loyalists? And, and, and wanting these people around him that are blind to reality but really keen on his narrative, has this actually been doing something terrible to Donald Trump himself? And could we actually blame a lot of the problems that he finds himself in on this behavior? Plus, we'll analyze a little bit about Michael Cohen. Is his threat truly over for the Trump White House? All of that is coming up and more. This is Shaggy Jenkins Show. This is Scientific American's 60-Second Science. I'm Christopher Intagliata. As all of you know, today we are keeping faith with the future. I'm about to sign a proclamation that will establish the Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument. More than 20 years ago, President Bill Clinton stood on the south rim of the Grand Canyon, announcing his intention to set aside nearly 2 million acres of Utah land land that his proclamation said was home to, quote, many different vegetative communities and numerous types of endemic plants and their pollinators. 
Just how many pollinators, though, was an open question at the time. So a handful of intrepid entomologists set out, season after season, to observe and classify wild bee species in every corner of the monument. And they got 660 of them. So 660 bees represents about half of the species known in Utah and about one-fifth of the species known from the United States. So there's a big proportion of the bees known from North America are found in the Grand Staircase National Monument. Joseph Wilson, an entomologist at Utah State University who was involved in the efforts. But then, he says, just as they were about to publish those big results, his team got word the Trump administration was going to shrink the monument to half its size. So they reanalyzed their data in light of the new maps and found that the new monument left 84 of the 660 wild bee species outside its bounds. What does it mean for these 84 species now that they're no longer in these protected lands? We really don't know. Their analysis and maps of the monument and its bees are in the journal Pier J. One of our main goals is just to make people aware that this area is a hotspot of bee diversity and that pollinators, including all these native bees, should probably be considered as the management plans for these areas get developed. Just as they were considered in the monument's creation. Thanks for listening. For Scientific American's 60 Second Science, I'm Christopher Intagliata. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. News from the left and the right. From the guy a bit off center and slightly out of his mind. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. Yes, the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. Welcome back to it. Oh my God, if you've missed any of the first part of the show, don't be afraid to subscribe to us on Spotify or Stitcher. You can also, eh, why not, find us on Patreon, become one of our members, and get some cool stuff for, for doing that. Welcome back. I'm your host, critical thinker, problem solver, guy just left of normal insane. My name, Shaggy Jenkins, and... Well, let's get back into our stories. Oh, by the way, if you want to follow me on, on social media, at Shaggy Live, okay? And then, of course, the website, ShaggyJenkins.com. All the information is right there for you. Back to the stories, though. As the East Coast is under a blanket of snow, I am about to deluge you with some heavy uh, thoughts. And I, I don't know where the segue was in that, people. But trust me, this is a kind of a heady little question I'm going to ask. Before we get back into uh, what's the kind of consequences of Michael Cohen right now, he's going in for sentencing this week, what was the level of involvement between Trump and Russia, what was alleged, what did the president react to, I want to bring up something that we were talking about right before the break. I, I mentioned the senator out of Hawaii, Maisie Hirono, okay? 
she brought up a point over over numerous times, actually. But as of recently, she's been back in the press again, wondering what are the consequences of a president that seeks loyalty among, well, the highest of the traits that, that, that he recruits for. Not integrity, not strong characteristics, not intelligence, loyalty. And I'm going to, I'm going to kind of make a, a, a statement about the president, or I'm going to ask you a question, and you're free to respond on social media at Shaggy Live, hashtag Trump question. Here's the thing I'm going to ask you, okay? <clears throat> okay, I got to kind of preface this a little bit further here because time and time again, I've seen so many mainstream media and so many you know, guys like me pontificate about subjects that they're not medically or, you know, educationally qualified to talk about. This is not that conversation. I'm not going to talk about the president's mental health here. Everybody assumes that when I bring up the president and, and things happening around him, I'm about to talk about mental health. No. Instead, I want to talk about something that you and I are both equally qualified to weigh in on. It's the consequence of choice. Look at your friends, okay? Just look at them. Uh, you might creep them out if you look at them that hard, but just think about them. Okay, let's just do it that way. Think about them. That way you're not staring at them and creeping them out. Why are they your friend? I'm asking you this to look at your own life for a very simple reason. The criteria that each one of us picks our friends and the consequences or bonuses of that relationship in our lives are solely formed on the choices that we make to continue that relationship, to strengthen that relationship, or to end it if it starts to be kind of consequential to our own lives. It's something that each one of us does. We choose the people that are around us. Now, most people fall into two categories. There's the people that you have around you because they support every little thing that you do. I know it sounds narcissistic, but it is a fact. Sometimes you just want somebody to tell you, way to go, man. And you surround yourself by type one. And type one in this scenario is going to be the yes people, okay? The ones that are always around you telling you that you can do no wrong, you can do no foul, and that reality itself, even though it is bending against you and your fate and circumstances, reality itself is kind of just a, a thing that, 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 that you're allowed to, to, to have an opinion on and, and have sway over how that narrative comes out. Now, type two of friend is the friend that you have around you because you respect and admire their intelligence their candor, their character. And though you may disagree from time to time, they continue to be your friend by choice, your choice admittedly, because you respect their counsel. Now when it comes to the choices of the type of people that you surround yourself, too much of type 1 and not enough of type 2 can lead you down a path of, well, serious consequences. And when it comes to Donald Trump, I'm kind of at this point where, as far as what we saw over the weekend with Twitter, 
of how he and Giuliani have been on this coordinated effort both to get out and say, oh, look, everything is all coming up. Roses for Donnie here. This all shows that there is nothing happening for him, against him, uh, about him. It's all with these other players. Hey, we're good. We're well and good here, guy. That narrative, though, is because Donald Trump has always surrounded himself with loyalists, like Maisie Hirono was saying. But also, these loyalists that Donald Trump surrounds himself with, and this has been documented in book after book after book, of course, Fire and Fury was one of them, one of the most noted, I should say, but in any case study of one Donald J. Trump, it's always come up time and time again that Mr. Trump enjoys a good yes person, more so than he does honesty. Because when honesty works against the Trump narrative, when honesty works against Trump's good feelings about himself, feelings that he is on record of saying that, I use those feelings to, dis to determine my financial worth. Remember how he said, I'm worth so many billions of dollars, and then somebody checked the books and he goes, well, I felt like I was worth a couple billion dollars that day. When it comes to a guy with a mentality like that, you have to analyze, is the president... Now, this is, a, this is kind of a strong case here against what most people come forth and say. The, the, the nefarious president, the, the sneaky, conniving, the, the genius mastermind president. What if that scenario isn't true? And I know you're thinking, genius mastermind? Trump himself called himself a stable genius and a lot of people in his base and people that think that he is like, mm, you know, the New World Order come true. Uh, well, Putin's New World Order. They all accuse Trump of being some sort of shadowy, nefarious mastermind orchestrating, much like a puppet master, all of the eroding of American democracy. Now, those are extreme views. But let's take this view, shall we? What if the president's choices to surround himself with loyal yes people and people that say, no, that's not what's happening, when in fact something like that is in fact very much happening? What if the president, through his Twitter account, through his blanket denial of things happening against his administration, uh, against the whole, you know, when he comes forward and says no collusion, oh my God, there's a lot of things that say collusion, 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 and he's individual one named in a lot of court papers. What if, brace yourselves, people, what if it's not Donald Trump's fault that he don't know? What if, in fact, what we're seeing is poor choices, choices of people that we surround ourselves with, having dire, dire consequences in one man's life. Because here's the thing. When it comes to Donald Trump, he hates disparaging news. It's, it's, it's why the White House counsel, anytime that they go to talk to him, always has to put his name in some sort of glowing review about something Trump does in their report just to get him to pay attention. Trump hates hearing things disparaging about his family, his presidency, his life, or his legacy, okay? Anything negative in Trump's world, he gets rid 
not of the thing causing that negative view, but of the people expressing it to him. And as such, as we're talking about Donald Trump's presidency, we have to ask ourselves something blatantly simple. Is Donald Trump the victim of poor friend choices? Poor inner circle choices. People that he has surrounded himself that have become so sycophantic in their approach to how they talk to him that he has no concept of the things happening around him and therefore acts in the reality that he's being presented by through these filters. Because a lot of people, when they're like, oh, here's Donald Trump once again obstructing justice and doing this, that, and the other online, what if, big what if here, what if he doesn't know? What if he's being told, no, that's not what you're doing? So much so, because Trump loves to believe these types of people, what if our entire presidency under 45 fell apart for one and only one reason? He didn't choose the right people to surround himself with. And that's just it. When we're talking about people that Trump surrounded himself with, one of those positive choices that a lot of people heralded was John Kelly. And on Friday, Donald Trump kind of, and, and this is the thing, timing, perfect once again. Big narrative comes out on the Mueller investigation. Trump has another shakeup in the White House staffing that he hopes will supersede that investigative story, distract, delegitimize, and rewrite the narrative. It's been a methodology so many times that, let's just face it, there's been 20 or so different occasions that Mueller has had Friday releases or document drops or things like that. There's been 28 people dismissed from the White House, each one of them hmm, around an auspicious rise in Mueller investigations. Look, at this point, Donald Trump is going to ruin, run out of people to, 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 to fire every time Mueller's investigation escalates. But let's talk about John Kelly, because this was the one choice that Donald Trump kind of seems to have made that... Um, <clears throat> Kind of appeared to be a good thing. I, I don't know how to say this other than that. It was the one thing that he did that a lot of people were like, yeah, yeah, okay. Good on you. John Kelly, he's a good pick. He's going to be stabilizing. He's going to rein in this presidential habit of Twitter. And yeah, we saw that not work. Um, he is going to kind of button down the narrative. And there were a couple of instances when Trump read from a teleprompter prepared statements that made him, in fact, sound presidential. And a lot of people were, were taken aback by that. But think back to those stories. Who ultimately was given credit? It was John Kelly, not Donald Trump. So John Kelly has been kind of this voice of reason, okay? And, and when Donald Trump is, says, you know, hey, I'm a fan of building walls... John Kelly has been one of those people that he's built a wall between himself and the information that Kelly can bring because Kelly is a guy that was supposed to be rational, informed, 
especially because of his military background, his armed services background. He was going to be, you know, very good for United States veterans and current serving active members. But instead, what has happened is time and time again, Donald Trump has used his Twitter account, the thing that John Kelly hates him having, to attack Kelly and his ideas of how Kelly wanted to reshape the public perception of Donald Trump's presidency, okay? He, he knew that Trump, the man himself, was a kind of off-kilter guy, but he wanted to kind of craft a way that the Trump presidency, at least to the rest of the world, and, and to its own constituency, the American presidency did seem to be intact. It did seem to be something that did still have decorum and an upholding of certain ideals at its core. Instead, Kelly spent the entire tenure as the chief of staff being ostracized, being lambasted by Trump, both in spoken and written word. And let's just go ahead and throw this out here because it's the truth. Not being a very effective reiner in of these Trump eccentricities. I mean, Republicans were counting on John Kelly so so hard for him to come in and kind of make Trump look like a presentable president. And, and here's the thing. Because he failed to do that, a lot of this whole turnover against Trump that we saw in the midterms was probably, um, well, let's just go ahead and be honest, John Kelly's fault. Because he wasn't able to make the president look more presidential to stop him from having these wild, cantankerous rallies where he says these very false and, and kind of legally damning things from time to time, because Kelly wasn't able to get any of that behavior out of control, Trump ultimately comes across as the president that he currently is. A guy that is increasingly under a cloud of investigation because he didn't listen to advisors like Kelly. Now, Kelly being out, and of course Donald Trump's next replacement, who, let's just be honest at this point, oh my God, he's going to run out of candidates. 28 people have went in and out of the Trump inner circle since he's been in president, more so than any other president before. And this is where you got to kind of ask yourself a couple of questions. One, is it because he's difficult to work with? The answer is probably yes. However, what president of the United States would not be difficult from time to time? Okay? Okay. Moving on. Is the stain of the Trump presidency something that people don't want on their resumes? Increasingly, that answer is turning out to be yes. So if the Republicans are hanging their hats on some sort of hope that somebody is going to come in and calm down Trump, that's not going to happen. And right now is the time to rein Trump in. Because, look, Michael Cohen might be up for sentencing this week, but moving on to the Michael Cohen story... Here's the thing. You have to ask yourself a very big, important question. Is the threat of what Michael Cohen knows actually over? Here's the thing, okay? Now, I've, I've been looking up stuff on Axios and all kinds of Wall Street uh, Journal, Washington Post, New York Times. All weekend, I've been looking up stories on this, and this is the thing. 
In story after story after story, the allegations that dropped around Michael Cohen and the stuff that we weren't allowed to see, the stuff that was redacted from public record, is probably not the full extent of what he told the special counsel. Keep in mind, over a dozen meetings were had between Cohen and Mueller's special investigation team. So these filings that, that happened on Friday, the ones that pointed to uh, 14 different contacts within the Trump uh, campaign entity and Russian officials, uh, multiple different meetings on record as being made for winning the favor of Vladimir Putin or favor for Trump Industries by introduction of Trump Industries to Vladimir Putin through a third-party source. In allegation after allegation after allegation, the stuff that we're learning from Michael Cohen's filing, not Paul Manafort's, which is going to be one of those other things that we'll have to talk about on a later show, but just getting back to Cohen, is the threat of Michael Cohen actually over? I'm going to go with a very solid no. Because of the amount of time that Cohen spent in the uh, Trump campaign organization and the intimacy at which he was involved with the campaign finance violation that Trump is under individual one, basically being soft indicted for, in these things, Michael Cohen has shown gross and blatant disregard for rule of law and for the sanctity of the American voting process. And that's the thing. Because even if Cohen is sentenced this week and he goes to jail for a very long time, which is what it's... Okay, let's just realistically look at this. He's, he's got at least four years he's going to go to a federal penitentiary. At least that. No matter the glowing review from the special counsel about his level of cooperation, the things that he did were very much a terrible and horrendous violation of a lot of the core American ideals when it comes to the sanctity of the vote. But what Cohen did was in clear violation of good upstanding behavior when it comes from a campaign side. He's saying that, yeah, there were several officials. There was Kalisniak, Ryabkov, um, there was there was a bunch of not only just official representatives. Oh, which by the way, <clears throat> had ties to good old KGB, now known as FSB. FSB. When KGB has too bad of reputation, not only were these people linked back to that, you know, <clears throat> nefarious kind of a Russian intelligence organization, but time and time and time again, they're on record even through some of their own admittance back in Russia media and, and among their fellow Russians, they were here in America fishing for a way to get Donald Trump into president, into the presidency so that they could get more favorable treatment on a couple of acts that were eh, holding them up from their expansion plans that they want to do. Now, Donald Trump had time and time again, past the point of January 2016, said that he had no involvement, no business, no nothing with Russians. Michael Cohen's filings say, yeah, no. There was a project on the books that we were trying to get pushed through through a third-party representative that had reached out to the Trump campaign. 
We were trying to do a multi-million dollar affordable housing project in Moscow under the blessing of one Vladimir Putin. That was happening all the way up through June 2016. And that's where the problem lies. Because Michael Cohen's testimony, or at least the testimony that we know so far, it's not a complete, complete timeline. There's huge tracts of time that still nobody's talking about. So when the GOP this week are all going to be, and and especially people like Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump, they're going to be all kind of uh, out in front of the press saying, it was Cohen, it was Cohen, it wasn't us, he's going away, he's a bad man, can we just drop this already? They're going to be doing that. You know that, right? Me and you both understand that that will be a thing, that's a narrative that's going to happen. Well, the failing of that narrative will be Okay, yeah, but who's individual one? And why does individual one and his campaign have all of these different points? Twelve members of these 14 different contacts that you had had, 12 of them were members of Russian intelligence and had close ties to Vladimir Putin himself. You know, as good operatives of FSB. So when it comes to this whole kind of picture that we're learning about Donald Trump over the weekend and what we're learning about the character of Michael Cohen who who basically right now is having one of those I'm an angel now I swear I never meant to do anything bad throw yourself on the mercy of this here cult I do Even though Michael Cohen is having one of those moments let's not forget or lose sight of the fact that what is being brought forward is probably not the last that we're going to hear from that testimony given. And, and more so this weekend than any other weekend, two stories that we've been following ongoing have, have, have started to show signs of, of we need to go back this week and talk about them. One is, of course, of what do we actually know about this case. One, we know it's not a witch hunt. Because if so, witches are real, and that's a scarier world for all of us. It's not a witch hunt. Instead, now we're asking the questions, how far did it go? How deep did it go? How much awareness did the president have as a side player? And was he, in fact, a main player in these contacts. Oh, and since we're talking about Russia and stuff like that, let's just go ahead and talk about the FCC story that came out last week. You remember that whole net neutrality vote that didn't go well? And and the FCC said, hey, we're going to take away net neutrality. Well, that was because they got a lot of votes that were pro breaking up net neutrality. Well, in findings over the weekend, the FCC basically came out and said, yeah, okay, a lot of those votes were probably Russian agents. A lot of those votes were probably, and when I say agents, I mean um, machines, bots, scripts, programs. Okay, not actual little men sitting down going, I vote against net neutrality. Vote. Go back to website, hit refresh. I vote against net neutrality. No, not that kind of an agent. If it's one agent, chances are there's like two to 3,000 accounts that they control at any one time. But now the FCC is coming out and said that the the vote 
for and against net neutrality was also messed with by Russia? Guys, hey, we got to ask ourselves a question. How much more Russia can America stand? It's looking more and more evident that they messed with our presidential election and let's just face facts. They messed with our net neutrality votes too. What else are they involved in? We may never know the full extent of it. Join me tomorrow when we get deeper into the stories with Ron. Until then, love you, mean it. Kate in, bye.